You're listening to a Chicago Sports Nation production, enhancing your Chicago sports fan experience. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Shy Sox Weekly, presented to you by White Sox Nation and Wegren Enterprises. Today is episode six. I am John Suarez, along with my co-host, Tony Marchese. Tony, how are you doing today, bro? Hey, John. I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'd be doing a lot better if the Sox knew how to win every once in a while. Uh, that would help. Is it <laughs> one in eight since we last spoke? Yeah, so we apologize for that, everybody. It's been a pretty hectic week over here at Shy Sox Weekly HQ, so that is why we are dropping this episode late. But, yeah, they've played nine games since we last spoke, and they won one of those nine games, one and eight. You are correct. That is not good baseball, but a lot of good stuff going on over at Shy Sox Weekly. John, we've got a new logo, and we've got a new website up. Yeah, so uh, Tony's been dabbling with uh, some new logos, and we got our new logo that's going to stick. It's pretty neat. We got our own font. Uh, we got the fireworks going off in the background, you know, everything that kind of represents the White Sox atmosphere. Uh, and then the website's up and running, um, not fully, but we'll get there. Yeah, if anybody wants to check it out, it's shysoxweekly.com. That's going to be the home of the podcast. Uh, it's got links to the podcast available on anchor also available on itunes and google play so let's get uh let's get right into business here john uh i know we want to bring up one thing and it's been heavily talked about in the white Sox community we need to give our uh, our thoughts and prayers out to the the farquhar family very sad stuff and it it's something that you you can't really take your eyes off of i know everybody in the white Sox community has been watching this situation very closely and and we wish danny uh, a speedy recovery yeah so for those of you that are unaware danny farquhar suffered a brain hemorrhage during friday uh the 20th game against the astros and he had um i want to say it was a brain aneurysm as well so he had like internal bleeding in his brain so he had to go undergo emergency surgery um, he's in the ICU at Rush Hospital. He's going to be in the ICU for the next couple weeks, but the surgery was successful. He has been talking with doctors. He's been talking with family, but he is still under very close care. It just kind of, it's one of those moments where it's bigger than baseball. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's his life. Yeah. I mean, this can't be talked about enough. Um, I had a family member that, that also had an aneurysm that was detected early. It's not a fun thing. I can't imagine what his family must be going through at this point in time. Uh, like we said, thoughts and prayers out to him and his family, and it, it's kind of awesome to see the support that the everybody around the league has given Farquhar in this situation. Uh, I know we saw in that Seattle game, the Mariners even hung up his jersey, and the Sox have had his jersey hanging up in the bullpen each and every game uh, that they've played since, since the incident. And... Uh, I'm sure they will continue to do that. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I noticed that they also have his initials and number uh, on the top of their ball cap right above the bill in white uh, the past yeah. few games. Yeah, so I ha- I actually had noticed that. I don't. I think it was Nate Jones that I had first noticed it on. But I actually went to the game on the 21st. It was the day after 
that unfortunate situation happened, and it was the first day that they had hung the jersey, and I, I believe it was Chuck Garfine had explained that they hung the jersey with the numbers and the letters facing the field because that was how he would sit in the bullpen was he would watch the game on the monitor instead of on the field, which I thought was kind of neat to find out. Yeah, uh, the guys, I'm sure, really, really miss his presence in that bullpen. And he was really starting to pick it up, too. Like, he looked good in his last, like, two outings before yeah, that he, happened. Yeah, he did. And and that bullpen is, is I'm sure, sorely missing him, as we've seen with some of this baseball that the, that the Sox have played. Uh, he's going to be missed. Yeah, so it's been a pretty crazy week in White Sox baseball. Uh, it all started with those rainouts uh, right before we had last recorded, which felt like a mini all-star break. And then the White Sox went on over to Oakland, and they got swept. So that wasn't fun. Yeah, well, we'll start it with the game that they played on the 16th. And this is where Lopez went out and, and pitched lights out for six innings, struck out 10 batters, and only gave up two earned runs. But the Sox still managed to lose that game 8-1. to one, And that's where I started... I think it might have even been before this, but the, the Reynaldo Lopez, Jose Quintana comparisons, they just won't give that guy any run support. And Lopez is obviously the best pitcher on the White Sox right now. Uh, it hasn't been Lucas Giolito as many expected it to be. It's Reynaldo Lopez, and he's just, you know, lights out, getting guys out left and right. I, I just can't imagine what it would be like to give him some run support. The Sox would actually maybe win a ball game in commanding fashion if they just, you know, put three runs up on the board in the first inning for this guy. Yeah, honestly, it would. I'm waiting to see it because he has what a, like his ERA is under 150. He has an he has probably like a top 10 ERA in the league at this point. He he's obviously one of the one of the better pitchers in the league right now. We're hoping that continues to develop and and he becomes a mainstay in this rotation i think he should be there's been some talk about him being a bullpen guy a lot of people have him pegged as a bullpen guy but as of right now he looks like the best thing in the white Sox rotation that's just been kind of floundering let's talk about the 17th that was a that was kind of a really cool game to watch the oakland a's were celebrating their i think it was 50th anniversary and the teams both wore throwback jerseys those White Sox jerseys, those blue jerseys just looked absolutely gorgeous. They were really sick, but the White Sox didn't show up to play in them. They lost that game 10-2. to But the one development that I want to talk about from that game is our guy, Yon Mancata, started to take off in this game. This was the, the game that he hit a home run late in the game. I think it was in the eighth inning. And since then, he started to go on a little bit of a tear. Yeah, um, the neat thing about that Oakland series was, yeah, as you mentioned, Yon Mankata started heating up. I think he had a stolen base in every single one of those games, and all the stolen bases came in the first inning. He did. He had a stolen base every single game. This is where his batting average started to climb a little bit. He finally got up over the 200 mark uh, in the second game of that series, and he hasn't looked back since then. The next day was a very crazy extra innings game that the Sox ended up losing 12-11. to But Yon hit a grand slam in that game. Also, like you said, stole another base. He walked. He also scored three runs. So you like to see that out of your leadoff guy. No complaints from his performance in that series. 
Yeah, I mean, he came out and he played every single game. There's guys that do it. You know, we've got the guy, we got the heart on the team. They just can't piece it together. They really cannot right now, and it's frustrating to see. Um, it's obviously more frustrating when you go out there and you're down eight to nothing in the third. I want to say Miguel Gonzalez pitched three innings and had eight earned runs given up. That's ridiculous. You can't win a ball game if your pitcher's going out there and getting ice like that. Yeah, no, you can't. I think that was actually the the next day after, but uh, this was the, the the extra innings game was the Carson Fulmer start. That oh, he, like, oh yeah, 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 the Carson Fulmer no. start where he only threw one inning and gave up four earned runs. One no, of yeah, them Ma- came off of Miguel Gonzalez pitched in the game before. My bad, <laughs> he pitched in that time the two lost the day before. Yeah, it starts to run together when you're playing crap baseball, but. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> like we said earlier, there's nothing really positive about the White Sox starting pitching except for Reynaldo Lopez. Yeah, but that was another game where, uh, like you said, Fulmer, he couldn't even get out of the, I think they took him out in the second inning. He pitched like an inning and two-thirds. Yeah, it was it was horrendous baseball to watch. Yeah. Um, but the Sox did manage to come right back out there in the second inning, score five runs. They had the lead. And then this game just kind of went back and forth. It just dwindled over time. Yep. The bullpen. Yep. And then they uh, they actually came back in the ninth uh, to tie it. They just couldn't hang on. You started to see them run out of pitchers uh, by the end of the game. And uh, I think I actually may have cursed something, but I made a joke and said, does anybody see Tyler Saladino warming up in the White Sox bullpen? And uh, he was actually traded shortly thereafter. The next day. Yep, the next day. <laughs> Something about you, man. <laughs> All right, moving on from the uh, athletic series. Like you said, uh, leading into the Astros series, uh, the White Sox traded away Tyler Saladino to the Milwaukee Brewers for cash considerations, and then they acquired Trace Thompson from the Oakland Athletics, who they had just got swept by for cash considerations as well. Yep. And uh, I'd like to say that I also called that deal, well, at least part of it, the the, uh, the Trace Thompson deal. Um, in a, when he in went on waivers, you yep. did. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, moving on to the Astros series, that was abysmal to watch. The uh, Sox actually got outscored 27-2 to over a three-game span, and I want to say they didn't even total 10 hits in the whole series. I don't have the hit stats pulled up in front of me, but you never, you never want to see a team get outscored 27-2, although this was the defending champions. Um, there were a few good things that came out of the series. I don't, I don't think there were very many, but uh, the one I want to talk about is Tim Anderson getting under the skin of Justin Verlander. Yeah, so I forgot that they actually kind of had a hit fuss in that last game. They had a total of 15 hits over a three-game span. That's still terrible. But, yeah, so Tim Anderson had broken up Justin Verlander's no-hitter in the fifth inning. That was actually the game that uh, Danny Farquhar had collapsed. But Tim Anderson broke up Justin Verlander's no-hitter, and he got a little hyped up when he got to first base. You know, he clapped and celebrated. And then there was a 3-0 count to Omar Narvaez following, and he stole and uh it was a ball anyway so it was a walk but tim celebrated stealing second base even though he didn't get the steal when he got there i mean he gets hyped that's that's his personality so verlander wasn't too happy about it you know he's he pulled the whole veteran you know i hate seeing any young guy have fun type deal move (laughs) was what i read from it but tim anderson actually got picked off uh like two pitches after he tried to steal third 
again. Like, he tried to steal again. He tried to steal third base, and Verlander caught him. So that was the end of that. But then uh, as he was walking off the field, they were kind of jawing at each other back and forth. And then I know the media kind of picked their brains about what that was. Yeah, and I don't blame Tim for being Tim. That's going to be the way that Tim Anderson is going to play baseball. And as Sox fans, we should accept that, and we should get behind him. I mean, when's the last time we saw somebody play with that kind of passion? I mean, I brought this up a few times. Uh, The last person you really saw do this was A.J. Pruszynski, and everybody loves A.J. Everybody should love Tim Anderson. Everybody should love the fire that he plays with. He's going to make mistakes just like everybody else, but we love that passion. He makes the game interesting. He gives you something to talk about after the game because that's how he plays. He plays with fire, and he plays with passion. You can't take that out of the guy. I would much rather have somebody like Tim Anderson on my team pissing off and getting into the heads of opponents, their fans, everybody on my on my team than you know just having somebody out there who's going to play the game, keep his mouth shut, and be kind of quiet. Those are the qualities that Tim possesses. He can get under the skin when he's on base you know that the opposing pitcher is thinking about him and that that goes so far it's one of those intangible talents that he has to just make people think about him and when you're thinking about that guy on second base who might steal third you're not going to have all your focus on the batter and that is just a huge advantage for anybody who's at the plate when tim anderson's on base yeah, that's honest. You nailed that. It literally, it's one of those things. It's like an unspoken attribute that, you know, like you go out, you're good at fielding, you're good at base running, but the aggressiveness, you know, and that it factor, that that energy that you provide, that's one of those things. Like we honestly, you said AJ, Brett Laurie was a psychopath. So like he was probably the last guy on the South side, but he didn't he didn't contribute that energy properly the way that Tim Anderson is. No, and I I think Tim's going to continue to do that. I have a feeling that we would have seen this out of Tim Anderson last year had he not been going through uh, what he went through off the field. But, you know, I'm just so excited for his future, and I can't wait to see the passion that he would bring in a playoff game. I think it would just be absolute fun to watch Tim Anderson play playoff baseball and get in the head of anybody on the mound i think he he would be a contributing factor in a playoff series and it would be really fun to watch yeah moving on from the astros series the Sox then stayed home they had a homestand they played the mariners which that uh series actually just wrapped up yesterday they uh got they almost got swept i lied they won the first game they actually that was the one game that they won over the last nine and that game was actually really fun to watch the bats were alive i think they had five runs in the first inning or so yeah that was a 10 to 4 victory they did put up five in the first inning (laughs) you missed that first inning i was i did i I was getting off work i was so pissed i come home this game it's five to nothing and i asked you i was like do i even watch from this point you're like hell yeah it's a carson fulmer start anything can happen (laughs) yep exactly (laughs) anything can happen in a carson fulmer start it's like playing russian roulette Uh, (laughs) it uh this was this was a great game for moncada again uh, he almost had the cycle. He was a single away. Uh, the Sox just looked like they were having fun playing baseball this game. They put up 18 hits. They scored 
uh, five in the first, two in the second, then Tecton runs again in the fourth, fifth, and sixth. Uh, it was just, you know, obliteration of Mike Leake, who uh, has been around the league a little bit. But I like I like when uh, when my team faces Mike Leake because it's uh, it's normally good. Uh, Chris Chris Beck came into this game for the for the good old three inning save. Uh, but I mean, this was a really fun game to watch for for anybody. It was a very much needed win for this team. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't carry over to the next day. But we're gonna see games like this where this White Sox offense explodes for ten plus runs. Uh, we saw this in spring training. I expected a few more a ga- few more games that were gonna look like this rather than what we've been getting. Uh, but you know. Hopefully we start to see more of these and less of the stinkers that we've been been watching lately. Yeah, um, that next game was actually uh, it was a hard game to watch. The Sox didn't score a single run, and I want to say that was Lopez that pitched that. No, that was Volstead's game, actually. Chris Volstead actually came out. I, uh, I pulled a crazy Marchese and slandered him on Twitter before the game and was like, Chris Volstead starting today. This is peak tank mode, and then he just comes out, shuts me up, only gives up one earned on three hits over four innings. So he looked decent, but... Didn't I mean I thought he was gonna do a lot worse, especially yeah. with his minor sets. Yeah, you get you get Hector Santiago in there, and you basically go with the with the long reliever and the two pitcher start here. You get Chris Volstad for your first four and a third, and Hector comes in to bring in the the next three and a third, and combined they both looked really good. Uh, if you put their stats together, uh, they you know struck out four and only walked one batter. Uh, that's pretty good pitching from what's been. Uh, pretty abysmal bullpen like we've talked about uh nate jones came in and and held held the game uh within a run but the offense just completely went missing again uh this was a weird game because ricky renteria changed the lineup up after we put up 10 runs and one of the reasons that he did that was obviously avasel garcia went to the dl uh but i think i've commented on this before Rookies kept the same lineup through the entire losing streak, and then the Sox finally go and score ten runs, and let's go mess with the lineup. What? Is, what? Do you, what's that all about? Yeah, I don't really understand where that was coming from. And then it just shook everything up. They go from ten runs to zero. So. And I mean, I haven't been the biggest fan of the way he structured his lineup, and and actually this game I I kind of liked it, which is funny because they ended up not putting anything together but why mess with the lineup after your first victory and how long uh it just made no sense to me and then he was right back with yon in the leadoff spot the next day yeah i mean i would prefer to see tim anderson in that leadoff spot he actually had a great game he was two for four he had half of the white Sox hits but and then he just takes him right out of the leadoff spot again I, he's still trying to get comfortable with everything. He's been changing the bottom of the lineup up a lot recently. I don't know if you noticed that or not. I'll be moving like Wellington Castillo, Matt. Day, like he'll be interchanging them. But yep. other than that, like that top three and top four, we've only seen it change like once or twice, and that's what you need to change. That's like the most important part of your order. So I don't know. We'll see as it moves forward. I, I'm sure by the All Star break ish. They will have like a set everyday lineup that like we will see throughout the rest of the year until the September call-ups. But right now he's just gonna kind of keep tinkering and tinkering. That was just a 
bad instance of him finally tinkering with it, and he did it at the wrong time. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that we settle into something, and I, I wonder if he's going to keep Yon in that, that leadoff spot long term. Obviously, he's started to come alive here in that leadoff spot. It's been very good to see him turn it around. I can't believe what he's done. Who's you know? to say he can't be a number three hitter by yeah, July, I mean, you know? I mean, we want this guy driving in runs. I think two or three, maybe five is where he should be yeah. long term. You can't but, put him clean up, but you can literally put him anywhere from two to six, and I'd be cool with it. But right now, let's talk about what he's projected to do. Uh, I'm looking at ESPN right here. Right now, he's he's on pace for 39 home runs and 100 walks. The scary thing is, he's also on pace for 293 strikeouts. And I know that's going to be part of his game, but you can't really argue with the fact that he's on pace for 39 homers. And since the last podcast, he's went deep four times with a grand slam, eight RBIs, and he's raised his batting average from 184 to 244. I think what happened was he just started typing his name in the Twitter search engine and just saw all the White Sox fans just starting to doubt him, and he was just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think he's actually starting to figure out how to play at the major league level. And like I touched on earlier, this is a confidence thing for him. He he needs to gain that confidence, and once he gets that confidence and puts it together, he's going to be an all-star. Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, NBC Sports Chicago had put something out today. It was in the White Sox Talk podcast that uh, uh, I want to say it's Garfine does that uh, Robinson Cano was asked about Yoel Mankata as the series had wrapped up with the Mariners, and he said that dude's going to be a future star one day. And to hear that from Robinson Cano, who is like the staple of an all-star second baseman, is really encouraging. Well, Robinson has always been the guy that Yon has looked up to. Uh, if you go back and read any article about Yon Mankata and, you know, who he idolizes, it's Robinson Cano. I'm pretty sure Yon's kid is named after Robinson Cano. This has been the guy that Yon has grown up watching and idolized and, you know, has modeled a lot of the way he plays the game after. And if if Yon Mankata ends up anything like Robinson Cano, <laughs> this is going to be a real treat for White Sox fans. Yeah, exactly. Uh, moving on from Mankata, during that uh, Mariners series, there was an instance where Matt Davidson had struck out on what was not even close to a strike. And Ricky Renteria went out there and he defended him and he got very animated and then ended up eventually getting ejected. But I was actually talking with my buddies about this, and it was like one of those situations, I think, where that was happening throughout the game. You know, that wasn't the first instance. There was another at-bat in that game. I think it was Yolmer was up. I can't remember specifically. But it was another really bad call. It wasn't a strike-three call, but it was just a bad call. And you notice that like you're not being consistent with the strike call. If your manager doesn't go out there and say something... It doesn't look too good on his part, in my opinion. So I'm glad that Ricky went out there and said something. I don't know what your opinion is on that. I completely agree with you. That's one of the way, one of the things that the manager is there for. He's there to to protect his players. I mean, that's his job. And if the umpire's not calling the game correctly, the manager needs to get out there and say something. You don't want your pitcher in that situation, or your catcher, or the guy at the plate to ever get themselves tossed over balls and strikes. 
It just does the team no good in that in that sense. They're out there playing the game. They need to be in the game, obviously, contributing. The manager needs to be the one who gets up and says something. I was happy to see Ricky get out there and defend his boys. Now, let's see how he continues to do that. I'm not sure. I haven't looked back and seen how many games he got tossed out of uh, in his career. But I just remember the days with uh, with Ozzie Guillen getting out there and <laughs> giving kicking the umpire, the dirt. yeah, kicking the dirt, giving giving the umpire the business. Uh, I like seeing that. Uh, sometimes it, it is unwarranted, but you got to have the fire. You got to have the passion. That that sometimes can strike up a rally for your team. I, you need that in the game. It was nice to see Ricky do it for the first time this year. Yeah, it was, I mean, you don't want to get your manager tossed, but if it's for a just cause, which that time it was warranted. I, I, he had every right to. You know, that brings me back to Robin Ventura and why I like Rick Renteria a lot more than I liked Robin Ventura because while Robin may have said something in that situation, I just really feel like Robin didn't have the players' backs like they make it seem Ricky does. I watch all the post-game press interviews that Rick Renteria does and the way that he talks about this 4-15 and 15 ball club is incredible. He talks about them like they're an all-star team. Are we really gonna go down the Robin Ventura path right now? Because we can. No, totally we're not gonna go. go we're not gonna I, go deep you into have, it. You have just brought on the oh, Robin God. Ventura talk, and that's that's White Sox baseball when you go one and eight over the course of ten days. So let's find out how many times Robin Ventura was ejected from baseball games while being the manager of our Chicago White Sox. Uh. Yeah, so actually, unfortunately, after like 20 minutes of us pausing the recording and Googling and searching on baseball reference and fan graphs and even tweeting at Christopher Gamka how many times Robin Ventura was ejected as a Sox manager, we honestly have no idea. Yeah, but it I have no idea. I, I, I can't imagine it had to be that many times. But we did, however, look up and get some really juicy stats on his challenge rate. <laughs> yeah, that was this is interesting. Let's hear it. Uh, apparently, Robin Ventura challenged calls 116 times, and only 58 of them were overturned, which puts him at a 50% success rate. As I said, it's exactly half. Quite tra- terrible. <laughs> trash. Absolute trash. Hot garbage quite terrible i didn't even know that there were stats on this and apparently it goes even deeper the baseball reference page also has a winning team win probability added or subtracted given on the challenge and some of these calls that he made were just terrible so there was one on june 20th 2014 and when it was upheld, it actually gave the Minnesota Twins a 39% chance higher to win the game <laughs> after he made that challenge. I think I remember the exact challenge you're talking about. I actually remember two challenges during Ventura's tenure where he challenged a call and like screwed the Sox over because he challenged it. There was one like last or two years ago, and then there was that other one that you're talking about in 14. Well, yeah, I'm just glad that the Robin Ventura era is over at this point in time. Yeah, we should uh, leave that in the past. I'm, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, we should we should probably never bring up Robin Ventura 
as a manager on this podcast ever again. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, obviously, I don't hate Robin all in all, but I just didn't like him as a manager. Moving on. Unfortunately, today we were supposed to have the Section 108 guys. We were supposed to have Cherizy E and B Flow from Section 108 on, but unfortunately, they could not make it. We will have them on at a later time. Yeah, they uh, they did have some, you know, things going on uh, in their personal lives, and, and we we respect that. So we we are really looking forward to having those guys on. It's going to be a blast when they do come on. Shout out to My Sox Summer. I believe he just welcomed a new White Sox fan into this world today. That's great news. We always like to hear about more White Sox fans, so shout out to him. But uh, they unfortunately, like John said, were unable to make the episode. We will have them on. We promise you guys we will have them on in the very near future. With that said, uh, let's do a quick little update around the minors. And we'll wrap this up, John. Yeah, so uh, Michael Kopech's made a couple starts since we last spoke. He actually gave up a couple earned runs and received his first loss of the season in the one start. I want to say he went like six. or I don't have his stats pulled up, but I do remember off top that he had like, uh, I think it was three earned runs. It was only on like six hits or so, but he had the strikeout numbers were there. He had eight strikeouts. And he had eight strikeouts again today. Or yesterday, actually. He had eight strikeouts again yesterday on six innings pitched, a one-hit baseball. He absolutely dominated the game, kept him in there for 98 pitches, and just absolutely showed that he has starter stuff. How about uh, some position players there, Tony? Well, I want to talk again about Luis Alexander Basabe. He is killing it down there in Winston-Salem. I actually think that this guy is ready to take the next step and go to Birmingham. He continues, like I said, to just destroy baseballs. On the topic of destroying baseballs, Eloy Jimenez finally made his debut for the Birmingham Barons this past week, and he didn't have the best first game. He went over two. He actually struck out in his first at-bat of the season, but the very next day, they played a doubleheader, and he hit two bombs, and they were moonshots. I watched the video. They were nice home runs. So, I mean, the Barons still lost the game, but it's nice to see that Jimenez is back healthy and playing. I think they were kind of nursing him. He looked perfectly fine out there in the, from what I saw. It looks like Mike Adolfo also went deep today, but Basabe also had two RBA doubles in for Winston-Salem. It, that Winston-Salem team, like we keep talking about, there's a lot of guys down there that look ready to, to, to take the jump. Yeah, actually, um, Future Sox had put, uh, it was actually Clinton said that literally like 27 of the Sox top 30 prospects are distributed between um, Winston-Salem and Birmingham, which is ridiculous. All right, anyways, uh, (laughs) that should probably do it. I don't really know much else about what's going on down in the minors uh, other than that they have been absolutely crushing it. Winston-Salem has been killing it the last couple weeks. Yeah, so that should probably about do it. For this week's episode of Shy Sox Weekly, uh, we hope to bring you a guest next week. We have plenty of time to plan, so we hope we don't disappoint there. So, uh, hopefully, have maybe have the 108 guys. Maybe we can reschedule them. But if not, we do have a couple names in our back pocket. We're not going to name drop or anything, but we got a couple people that we got to bring on in the future here for you. So look out for that. Other than that, do you have anything you want to close out with, Tony? Yeah, we do have some very exciting guests lined up uh, to bring you guys. Like John said. That's all I've got. I just hope that the next week of White Sox baseball is much better than the week we had just witnessed. All right. Until next time, go Sox. Go Sox.
Go Sox.